Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. On the 24th of March, the government of India under Prime Minister Narendra Modi ordered a nationwide lockdown for 21 days, limiting movement of the entire 1.3 billion population of the country as a measure against the coronavirus pandemic. The lockdown came as cases of the virus spiked and for many came too late in the day with ill thought through preparation. The government of Modi had sat with complacency for months preferring to stoke community tensions and watch as mobs burnt down Muslim shops and homes during a months-long campaign to assert the Hindutva fantasy that India was for Hindus alone. To cover its obvious failures, key politicians and its RSS supporters opted to turn the country on its Muslim citizens, blaming the mounting cases on the Tablighi Jamaat Ishtima in Nizamuddin and what they dubbed an insidious campaign to spread the virus to Hindus, what they perversely called Corona Jihad. The virus, in their warped view, was another weapon used by Muslims against Hindus. This week, I speak to Fazal Hijazi about the crisis facing the Muslims of India. We spoke to him previously on this programme about the Modi government's connection with the fascistic worldview of the RSS group. Fadl is an Islamic academic based in India. Now, Fazal, let me first start by uh, really understanding the announcement made on the 24th for a lockdown uh, of the country. I understand it was made in haste and the Modi government uh, really did not think through the consequences of its decision. And it led to a, a great deal of problems, especially for migrant workers in the country. So can you tell me a bit more about why this announcement was made in such haste? The, the Prime Minister announced at 8 p.m. that from the next day, uh, 6 a.m., um, the, the country would go into lockdown. 
Um, and this is not the first time they've done that. They did that with the demonetization issue um, where the Prime Minister announced on Prime Time TV at 8 p.m. and uh, announced that four hours from his announcement, that is at the midnight of the day, uh, of that day, um, the, all the currency, um, well, rather 86% of the currency, which is um, 500 rupee bills and anything above that, that was the thousand rupee bills as well, uh, would be demonetized, uh, would be rendered useless, basically. It would just render paper and everyone would have to just go and exchange that. Now, obviously, we are talking about a country which has, um, which has 1.3 billion people. Imagine uh, all of them then rushing to get their currency, their, you know, their currency notes exchanged. Um, now, obviously, this was almost similar to the demonetization issue, because this is this is uh, this country has a lot of migrant population. Um, we're talking about close to fifty percent of the population in many of these cities is migrant. Um, they come from you know rural areas, from towns, and we're talking about as far as two thousand kilometers, three thousand kilometers. Um, and these people, uh, a big chunk of these people are people who are living as daily wage workers. Um, this is a concept that probably um, is, um, is new or is non-existent in many developed societies. But in, in underdeveloped countries like India, th this is common that people um, you know, work uh, you know on a daily basis, and they they go in the morning at nine a.m., work till six p.m., seven p.m. days wage, and go back home. And it is that that money that they earn on that particular day uh, that feeds them. So missing a day's uh, day's work can can have can literally you know cause a lot of distress because that is what they're really living on that amount that they earn on a daily basis. And so um, the complete lockdown meant. Factories uh, being closed, all domestic workers being, uh, you know, rendered out of work, uh, and they had no um, solution except that they leave the city and go back to where they came from. This is because India doesn't have an effective welfare system or safety net uh, which these workers can rely on. True. Yes, and that is what I wanted to make a point about that uh, the concept of a basic income doesn't exist uh, in India. Um, even though on paper it does, but you know that is just uh, a meager amount which uh, you have to go through a lot of bureaucracy to be able to get. You know, we're talking about five hundred, one thousand rupees a month, and uh, it, it's not worth the effort to even really, you know, just to get this meager amount. Now, the these people did do not have access to any funds. There is no support from the government. There is no. Uh, there's no access to public health, uh, you know, uh, institutes as well. So you're, you're talking about a reality where these people were staring at starvation and all starvation due to, uh, you know, not having money and food and also dying, the possibility of dying because of uh, the virus. Um, so, I mean, that is a point we should probably go into. And that is about the state of the public health institutes in India. Uh, and people realize that. And so they did not find any uh, you know, any alternative other than just moving back. And so remember, many of them are on, uh, live on rented premises. And that was another challenge, yes, that they had to arrange for the rent payments as well. Um, there were announcements that the government made a few days later saying that all rent has to be, you know, foregone. So the next two months, no 
landlord could seek rent and that uh, people who are currently employed in private companies should be you know should be given the salaries and also that the government was going to arrange for places to stay and food for the people but the announcement came came too late it was about like, three or four days after the crisis started unfolding but but why i mean why uh, fazel i mean you know you, you would imagine that a government uh, would would think ahead and plan uh, sufficiently for um, such a major decision so they look this is how they have been formulating a lot of the laws as well um, so they have this prospect that people may go through turmoil they, they may be period of turmoil people may have to go through personal inconvenience but that is a price of you know, being you know, expressing your patriotism to the country and showing that you are you know you're loyal to the country um, this is how they've seen it and this is how the demonetization when it took place the the public the public responded in very unexpected ways even though the 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 whole process had unforeseen uh, you know consequences on the economy um it had it led to a lot of losses in the economy but you found people uh, literally um you know forgiving the government they said see this is uh, we have to go through this it's a difficulty it's a temporary difficulty but in the long run the government uh, the government's decision is for the good uh, so this is that kind of mentality which they built the people uh, you know and so you would be surprised that people did not really complain about this uh, you know this whole uh, decision um except for the poor people who who they don't care about yes um they are not the vote banks vote bank anyways it is the middle class and the upper middle class and the uh, elites who really form the bulk of the voters for the the existing government and so for them uh, this was seen as uh, this was seen as something that was needed and so if you look at the comments uh, that these people are making this thing that uh none other than modi could have really done this uh, it is just uh, modi uh, uh, and his leadership that uh, is able to deal with the coronavirus in the way he has and there could be no one else who could do it in a better way so when all when the decision was really made um they had expected the people will simply stick to uh, wherever they are and what will happen is that uh, they will then start arranging for the uh, for the essentials uh but that did not happen because you had big populations uh you know you know in the next the first day and the second day um that started walking there. because remember all the public transport was stopped yes yeah? so the people were walking uh people sat on motorcycles on foot um uh, and this kept on going for at least you know for several days after the after the lockdown uh, happened i myself had to uh make a trip to uttar pradesh and i found people on the road at, at 3 am in the morning walking i pleased uh, on a 60 km stretch i found at least uh, 200 people walking and these were people with children women a majority of them were with you know families yes group of families um across the, along the stretch i found so many people were just walking yes and uh, people say that they haven't been fed they've been just walking for days and days uh is all over the news yes is people who've made you know trips as long as you know 1000 kilometers and 1500 kilometers just to, 
on foot, some of them on motorcycles. And I saw that Modi went on television after this crisis became uh, uh, apparent and uh, begged for forgiveness from the um, Indian population. I mean, how did ordinary Indians view Modi after this? Yes, and, and you're right. Yes, he did. He did come on TV and he uh, he was seeking forgiveness. And, uh, he, and this man is good at theatrics and, you know, uh, his own branding. Um, he knew what to do. I mean, he was on TV and he um, very much uh, unlike any other, you know, prime minister, he he was folding his hands in front of the people. He was asking them to forgive him. He In that short address of a few minutes and he uh, he uh, folded his hands eight times that that matters a lot you know when you have your pm holding your hands in front of you you start you know overlooking uh, at your own problems and you look start looking at the greater good uh, in my understanding uh, this actually uh, would not even barely dent his image or his credibility or even the parties it actually just helps him further consolidate the the you know the voter base that he has. But also, it seems that uh, the uh, national papers in India were very quick to blame the Muslim community. And uh, can you shed some light on uh, these accusations made against the Tablighi Jamaat and a Marcus that was held in Nizamuddin, and uh, the idea that uh, the virus was generated from uh, that gathering in? And uh, there was some speculation that uh, members of that group uh, deliberately stayed in the Marcus even after the lockdown was announced. I think this is uh, part of the the bigger or the larger, you know, uh, vilification uh, program that the the ruling government and the media uh, is running against the Muslims uh, in the in the past uh, few uh, years. Um, Primarily after 2014, um, ever since the BJP came to power, and um, um, they they picked—I mean—they picked up the the Nizamuddin issue, um, you know, uh, and they singled it out. While there were many other um, similar congregations happening across the country, remember the announcement came out of a blue. The the ministry. Um, on the March, on the 13th of March, the Ministry of Health was saying, it was issuing circulars saying the coronavirus is not a health emergency. And uh, and and this is on the 22nd, they're announcing a lockdown, uh, a national uh, lockdown. Um, so you can imagine, you know, people were not really, I mean, as you said in the beginning, people were not given enough time to actually, uh, you know, organize. The, the Nizamuddin event, um, took place on the 13th and this was exactly on the day when the Ministry of Health was announcing that there is no health emergency. Now, the event is is generally announced uh, a year in advance. So it's a, it's a yearly event and it, it is a mashora that they do and this was, you know, scheduled for, you know, in, in months in advance. Um, and so the event starts, it takes place for three days and then ends. And you had, uh, if you're following the news, on the 16th of March, there was another event that took place, and that was done by the Hindu Hindu Mahasabha. The Hindu Mahasabha is a group um, that is a Hindu group, basically. It's a Hindutva group. Uh, it's uh, they conducted a Gaumutra party to cure coronavirus. Uh, 
the Gaumutra is uh, is the urine of a cow. So they conducted a party. It was a public uh, event where they invited people to come and uh, drink the cow urine uh, in order to cure the coronavirus. Um, and uh, it was on the 16th of March that the Delhi government announced, uh, you know, issued a notification saying that all religious institutions should be closed. Now, at this time when this was happening, you had visitors going across the country to different religious places. So you, you had this Tirupati temple. They had 40,000 visitors on the 17th of March day. They had on the 18th of March as well, they had 40,000 visitors. But on the 19th of March, it was closed. And the, the, the government then, uh, on the, on the uh, 22nd of March, they announced uh, what they called as a janta curfew. It was, an, it was a public initiative, basically. It was not a, it was not a legal, legally binding curfew. So they said people have to come forth and um, you know, uh, self-isolate themselves. Um, and so what is happening is this is, the, the, if you take the Nizamuddin issue into perspective, the Nizamuddin issue uh, or the Nizamuddin event took place at least 10 days before the lockdown actually happened. Fazal, this is amazing. So what are the grounds for um, suggesting that uh, the uh, virus began or at least uh, the virus was transmitted primarily through this markers? When the lockdown was announced, there were a lot of Jamaats uh, that were there. So you have to remember that this is the global headquarters uh, for the Tablighi Jamaat, or at least it is the Indian headquarters. Now, you had Jamaats from across the world. You had Jamaats from Indonesia, from Malaysia, uh, from, from the Middle East, and, uh, and they were there at the Markas. And so, right, you know, imagine you get 10 hours of, you know, uh, all you get is a 10-hour window to really organize their travel and uh, then you can't travel. So the Markas was smart, actually, or I would say they were, they were really wise. Uh, the moment the announcement was made, they decided not to uh, keep all the Jamaats in the Markas because of the fear of the wire spreading. And so what they did was they sent uh, these Jamaats to different masajid uh, across New Delhi. They said, see, Jamaat, uh, this Jamaat from Indonesia, they have to go and stay at that mosque. They have to go at that mosque. So they actually uh, tried to distance them from the Markas in the sense that they didn't want them to congregate at the Markas. Right? And even in those masajid where they were sent, they were practicing social distancing. So I know in so many of these masajid, there were Markas people, I mean the Jamaat people from different places, and they were so careful uh, I myself experienced it. I saw this Jamaat that was from the Middle East and they were, uh, they, were, they were reserving themselves to a different floor of the masjid all this time, ever since they were sent. But what happened was uh, the government uh, decided to, you know, because when they realized that they, there were a lot of hotspots and the numbers were increasing, uh, they, they picked on this story and they decided to make an issue out of it. Not that the... Uh, not that the uh, the uh, there were no people who did not get the virus at the Marcas event. There were people who did get the virus. The real numbers we are not sure about it uh, because there are numbers that are being you know that are being told uh, on the internet. They were saying they're saying that it has reached over a thousand cases, but we don't know what is true because there is a lot of 
um, ambiguity in the way the information is being spread. Because this has been known from the government that they've always tried to uh, deflect their own uh, incompetence and failure. And they here have a very, uh, you know, they have a very, um, what I would say is, um, you know, they have the right kind of people who can they, they can put the blame on because that would just pacify the people. Now, this is obviously got, this is, this is obviously going to have a lot of um, dangerous consequences for the Muslims, um, primarily because this is further uh, put fuel to the fire uh, for the Islamophobic agenda that the BJP is running. Um, ever since this has taken place, the kind of narrative and the public discourse that has been taking place in the country uh, has become very difficult for people to bear. So how have they abused this issue and used it against uh, the Muslim community in India? And, and so what is happening is um, we, we've, we've got people, uh, very popular people, uh, you know, people, you know, Olympians. Yeah, there's this Olympian from India, I, I believe that she even won a medal there, uh, Babita Kogat. And uh, she, she went on Twitter and she said uh, that uh, she made a lot of abusive comments about the tablik. Uh, and it was so well received and so supported. You had, in a matter of two days, you received 88,000 retweets, or likes, sorry, and over 30,000 retweets for the, for the tweet, yes. Um, and it was very abusive. Uh, eventually, Twitter asked her to take it down. Uh, but then she was smart, and she took it down and just put a photo of the same uh, tweet uh, again on her account and so you have th these kind of things that have been you know that have been continuing so there's been there's been this narrative that has been built um in the country uh remember we spoke about this discussion we had uh, the last time uh, a couple of months ago about uh, about modi's india and about the hindutva agenda in the country uh and this is a this is a continuation of that you know of that uh, of that idea that they have of trying to convert the country into a Hindu Rashtra, uh, which is uh, effectively a Hindu nation. Uh, and so uh, what has been happening is that there's a narrative in the country where they have been, you know, trying to tell the Hindus, and this is how they've been able to bring the Hindus together. That is that you are in, you are in danger from the Muslims. The Muslims have multiple ways of doing jihad against you. Uh, it is not necessarily that they may only undertake uh, physical jihad against you, uh, with the, which is Sukital. Rather, they have other jihads. And then they've tried to outlist those types of jihad, which, is, which includes media jihad, which is, includes love, love jihad. Love jihad is jihad where, some, where a Muslim uh, man goes uh, and marries a Hindu woman. They, they claim this is love jihad and there's media jihad um, and then the the tablighi incident was pushed as corona jihad um, and this this made a lot of sense to them they they said this is another subset or this is uh, another type of jihad the muslims are doing they want this virus to spread among hindus and they want to kill hindus through this i mean do, do why why do ordinary uh indians believe in in such um uh, in such falsehoods, I think if it was, if it had been not been the Muslims that were here as in, as the intended target, then they probably may have questioned it. Uh, 
you know. Right. But, so it conforms to their world view already. True. Yes. Um, and so that 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 really gave you know gave it a push and uh, and the narrative has really I mean has really been has taken uh, you know a, what I would say is is really spread and has gone uh, you know has gone further. Uh, the 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 you know the, the public discourse which is happening which is about the, which is which is the vilification of Muslims which is about trying to uh, enact laws which brings the Muslims into control so this is this idea that they are now spreading is that the Muslims are un- uh, you know are disorderly we need to bring laws which needs to put them into uh, into form we need to cut them to size we need to we need to be, we need to understand that they are disloyal uh, they are treacherous they are fifth columns, uh, and they have been, or through these his, through, or throughout history, been enemies to Hindus, and therefore we need to uh, show them their place. This is the kind of idea that is really taking, um, you know, taking. This is taking place now. Uh, the last time when we spoke, we were only speaking about the Kashmir incident. Um, I think, if I'm not wrong, the Babri Masjid verdict came after that. Uh, no, no, it came before. I think came, you made reference to it. Yeah. Yes, the Babri Masjid came before that, right? Uh, the, the what came after it was the CAA and RC. That was the exactly. new law that take, yeah. that you know that they enacted, um, yeah. and uh, so, and that was really about telling, giving, showing the Muslims their place. It was just about uh, showing the Muslims, uh, you know, that this is about Hindus. The, the country is about Hindus, and they found within that law. Um, a good way to disenfranchise the Muslims, and so they they wanted to you know they they wanted to seize on an opportunity to, re- to redefine the citizenship, and then subject Muslims, especially the poor undocumented Muslims, to the threat of disenfranchised limbo. So and for that for them that was like winning a political lottery. So uh, and they know that. The non-Muslim citizens, they can be persuaded to accept the, you know, the inconvenience of proving their citizenship uh, as a price of a patriotic pan-Indian purge. So uh, through which what would happen is all these treacherous aliens are identified, they're interned and deported. So for them, this was uh, a gamble worth taking. Uh, and, And for them, it is one step. You know, with this, they move one step ahead with the idea of the Hindu Rashtra. Um, and they've got other laws in line as well. Uh, they've got other law that they want to bring in place, which, which is again uh, targeted on, towards the Muslims. They, they, there is this another idea of jihad, which they say is a population jihad, uh, which is that the Muslims increase, uh, you know, tend to have more children, tend to have wives concubines this idea is is it is very much prevalent among the among hindus um, and so they they are trying to bring a law which is called the population control bill now the population control bill uh, once it is enacted would mean that anyone having more than two children would not be able to access anything from the government so you cannot access the public health facilities, the uh, public colleges, public universities, any scholarships, uh, any public jobs. Uh, yes, this is this is. Uh, but, but but surely that that would impact on uh, the Hindu majority as well as the the Muslim minority. Well, um, 
the the large the, the large part of the the uh, the vote bank uh, for this uh, particular government they actually hold up to it uh, and they they've already following that this idea of uh, of just having two children is is an old idea within india and they've been pushing this uh, for a very long time now they've tried to control the population in various ways um they even had forced uh, drives a uh, 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 you know couple of decades ago uh, under the gandhi government uh, where, when they tried to force sterilize people uh, it hit them back uh, very hard at that time but they've tried their uh, they you know the different ways yes and over the years uh, they've run they've been running this campaign of just having two uh, and no more than two uh, and so they want to they, they, and but they still know that people uh, muslims primarily and people in the villages they still do not uh, abide by that and so for them this is a way uh, of getting back at them this uh, this is this is uh, the, the the CANRC's one uh, law that actually furthers their agenda of uh, being able to establish uh, uh, or convert india into a hindu rashtra uh, it is like uh, if i'm not wrong israel has a similar law as well uh, where citizenship is not given to everyone only select people are given uh, citizenship if i'm not wrong it is just jews who get the citizenship the similar law that they want to bring in place in india with the cnrc and then you have this population control bill they've got another law which is uh, which has been uh, in wait which is the unified uh, civil law uniform civil law uh, uh, that law will mean that all uh, private uh, personal laws will be dissolved so which means for example um, inheritance according to sharia will will not be you cannot be you know giving away your inheritance according to sharia or the idea of talaq or nikah all of these will then have to go through the civil law uh, means a lot uh, in india these uh, this is an area which really no government has uh, attempted to uh, you know uh, think away and and what do you think is the long term goal behind uh, these measures against uh, muslims uh, what they want to do is by 2024 when the elections take place again when modi comes back into power they want to be able to uh, announce that we've now we're now entering uh, Hindu Rashtra. This is how it is seeming at the moment. My reading of the current uh, situation and climate in in India is that uh, even Muslims who have uh, spent many years trying to uh, trying to conform with uh, the uh, the wishes of the the Hindu majority uh, are feeling pressured today. And and um, uh, we know that you know Muslims in India have had a long history of. Um, uh muslims who have been involved in the arts and in film and in in general culture and um the hindu population has um uh has uh, seen them similar to how they see uh singers and actors in in the local population right from the from the majority population but it seems to me that what, from what i'm reading and hearing that even those who uh for all intents and purposes look like the mainstream are now feeling the pressure of just holding a uh, a muslim identity and that is very much true um uh, you know if you um if you look if you go back into the history of india and how the whole um partition uh, the process of partition took place the the muslims who stayed back 
um, in India uh, held the view that we could stay in harmony with the uh, majority population, with the, with the non-Muslims. Uh, and they did. Um, uh, and uh, the, the relationships in principle were good initially, at least. Uh, but they deteriorated over the years. Um, the Muslims, uh, to be very frank, did not have any clear vision or plan for the Muslims in India. It was whatever they had was, uh, was very fragment fragmented. Um, and what I must say is that over the years, the, the right-wing groups, um, especially groups like the RSS, the VHP, the Hindu Mahasabha, and all these groups, they, uh, they had a plan, they had an ideology, they had clarity in what they wanted. Uh, and for them, uh, it was about reaching, uh, building a reach at all levels uh, of society. Uh, and so we'll, we're talking about um, across the population, reaching out to them, building relations with them, pinning them over to their own ideologies. Um, they worked on the grassroots, at the grassroots level, and uh, at a very, at a very uh, micro level. Um, they they built their relationships, and this is this obviously took time. And so we're looking, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about over ninety years now. The the RSS was established in nineteen twenty five, uh, and similarly other groups as well. They they've been in place for decades, and so these groups they built their relationships, won people over to them, and they not only did that, but they those who were not at that level where they could be won, they won them over by creating fear in them against the Muslims primarily. They built within them hate against the Muslims and fear. The, the hatred towards the Muslims was that, see, the Muslims have been ruling you for over a thousand years and they have been plundering your resources and these are foreigners, these are invaders and you need to take back from them what belongs to you. So you, the reason why your country is backward, the reason why you are in poverty, the reason why you're starving is none but the, the Muslim rulers of the past. And so this kind, of, this kind of work that they've done over the years uh, has actually uh, borne fru fruits. So we're talking about, you know, in, in 2020, when we're talking about them, I think what's important is to, is to look at the history as well and the work that they've done at the grassroots level. Um, there was this analysis that was being presented by Ramachandra Guha, who is, is a is a left center historian, and he he said that the it's unprecedented in the way how this government has been able to uh, hijack or at least influence every institute in the country. Uh, institution in the country and so when he meant institution was the pillars basically uh, and he said that the uh, the election council uh, the election commission is uh, is is completely um, loyal to the government so is the judiciary and so is the reserve bank which is the central equivalent of the central bank in many countries uh, and the politicians already are you have no institution that remains because the only institution that remains, and the media as well, I'm forgetting that I didn't miss out the media there. So saying at, they said, he was saying that this did happen in the past during Gandhi's time where she was able to do the same with, the, uh, with all the institutions, but not to that degree with the, uh, with the 
uh, with the central bank and with the uh, with the with the judiciary. But with this government in place, um, that has actually happened, and this has been happening for a while. They've been they've been working on this at all levels, and so I, I happened to you know, interact with a judge, and the judge said that. Uh, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these judges, when they're promoted from a district level to the uh, to the state level or to the national level, they're rubber stamped, they're vetted. They're v- only then are they promoted. Otherwise, they're never promoted. Uh, and this is the reason why they're able to get very favorable judgments. Uh, very rarely do you find a judgment that does not favor them. Now, the issue with with democracy, obviously, uh, and with modern constitutions, is that you can have uh, you can have judgments which are which are um, there is this terminology within within uh, within the legal circles, and if I'm not wrong, the terminology is uh, a subjective and objective, and so you could have a law which you could have a judgment which is objective in nature, which you have a judgment which is objective in nature, in the sense that it conforms to the uh, the law as it is, or it could be subjective, where the judge reinterprets the uh, the law in a manner which does not, which is basically which is within the general framework of the law, and give a favorable judgment to the the government. And so that the government has done that again and again. They've done that with so many issues. Every time there is a litigation against a law that the government passes passes. And you find that the Supreme Court uh, rubber stamps it. Very rarely does it, uh, you know, uh, reject it, even though it may be contradicting the um, the Constitution. So, um, so that's been happening with the Supreme Court as well. And that was one area where Muslims really believed in. They used to think that, see, in the end of the day, we have the, the Supreme Court. We, we, we the, the court is one place where which can never be interfered with. It can never be. Um, you know, can never be uh, influenced um, at at the at the national level, at least. Yes, uh, at a state level or a district level, it could be. Uh, and but they now realize that it is that is gone. That is not happening anymore. And you find, uh, uh, you know, you find this judges from Supreme Court. You know, there's the the just the 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 last the ex uh, Supreme Court judge was just recently nominated to this Rajya Sabha, which is the upper house. I'm not sure if you follow that um, you know the news and so with that uh, you know you could you realize that it's it's a full full circle now Uh, they're being rewarded this is the same judge who uh, issued the uh, Ramandir verdict and so he's effectively uh, you know in ways he's rewarded by being given a Rajya Sabha seat and so um, this uh, this really further breeds uh, you know, f- you know, uh, fear, um, and you know, and a lack of, cr- and it creates a lack of tranquility within the Indian Muslims, and that's why you find a lot of these celebrities as well now uh, questioning and saying, uh, "Can we really, you know, continue continue staying in India in the way how the country is and the direction which the country has taken?" and um, a couple of years ago, there's this uh, popular, famous actor, Amir Khan. Um, he came out uh, openly and said uh, that uh, India uh, you know, has a lot of intolerance that is being bred. And there was another actor, Nasiruddin Shah. He made a similar comment. Um, and I must say, these are not very 
you know, they do not come across at least as devout Muslims, uh, but they do hold on to their identity uh, in a strong manner. Uh, and they, they made these statements. Fazal, as you speak, uh, we can't help but get the impression that things look very bleak for Muslims in India. Can we be anything but pessimistic about the future of uh, Muslims in your country? We, we can't just uh, make the inference from this uh, that, uh, you know, that, we, that, that basically everything is going to be bad and it's just going to get worse and worse and we can't do anything. And, you know, um, uh, and, and you, you just sit at home or, you know, many, many, many of the people, many people are actually even planning to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, make hijra, make, migrate to other countries. And I think the, the lesson there really is, the, the lesson that needs to be drawn is from the Quran, uh, where in, uh, in Surah Al-Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ قَالَ لَهُمُ النَّاسُ إِنَّ النَّاسَ قَدْ جَمَعُوا لَكُمْ فَخْشَوْهُمْ فَزَادَهُمْ إِيمَانًا That uh, those to whom, the hypocrites when they said, indeed the people have gathered against you, so fear them. But what happened was that it only increased them in faith. And they said, They said, sufficient for us is Allah and he is the best disposer of affairs. Uh, and similarly, in another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Ahzab, he says, So when the believers saw the Ahzab, a lot of these groups that were gathering against them uh, in the war, they said, This is what Allah and His Messenger had promised us. And Allah and His Messenger spoke the truth. And it only increased them in faith and acceptance. So the lesson, what I think we should really uh, draw from here is the first thing is, uh, is that this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and it is also uh, a consequence in a way uh, of uh, the fact that we as a community did not plan, did not have a vision. We did stay back in India. So the Indian Muslims did decide to stay back. They chose not to make hijrah. But if they chose not to make hijrah, then they should have had a plan for the country, for the Muslims in India. And we did not have that. And the lesson there is that we as Muslims, in whichever country we are, which includes India, is that there needs to be a strong Muslim leadership that needs to have a plan. which needs to be not just reactive, but has to be proactive in principle. I think this is the lesson that needs to be drawn. Uh, and we also need to remember what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in, in Surah Al, uh, in, in, if I'm not wrong, that is in, uh, in Mu'minun. That they planned and Allah planned and Allah is the best of the planners. And similarly, uh, in Surah Mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That do not, do not assume or do not underestimate that Allah is ghafil, Allah is unaware of what the zalimun are doing. And, and, and in one way, if you look at the, the past few months, what was happening was you had the CANRC law that was enacted 
and uh, as a result of that, people, Muslims started protesting, and these protests uh, became massive. They became, you know, they went to a national level, uh, and uh, there were a lot of atrocities committed against the Muslims. Uh, a part of which was the Delhi riots that took place, in which you know hundreds of Muslims were killed and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of their properties were damaged, and eventually many of the Muslims were arrested as well. But what what the government was doing all this time was it was saying that we will not we will not take a step back. We will we will continue with our uh, CNRC, you know, the law that we've uh, enacted. We will continue with that, and we will start the procedure to 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 start collecting data from the people uh, which was which is a part of the NRC uh, the National Register of Citizens uh, but subhanallah if you look at how suddenly they had to announce that they will not be continuing with this process and they said the process has been cancelled indefinitely uh, just because of the coronavirus there's a lesson there for us that it is due to Allah's plan that they had to stop the Stop their, you know, their process. Um, so we should realize that the the power of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is is bigger than everything, uh, and can literally a small, you know, small, uh, a, sm- a tiny creature, uh, which is which is effectively, if, if in in scientific terms, it's not even a living being, can, has literally brought the whole world to its knees. Uh, it just proves, you know, it just tells us. The, the the magnitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power. And this should only increase our iman and make us more stronger in our in our resolve and in our uh, in our yaqeen. Fazal Hijazi, Jazakallah khair for your um, uh, lucid explanation of, of uh, the situation there, but also uh, uh, your encouraging words at the very end there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you and your family and the Muslim community there safe and uh, uh, bring something good from... Uh, uh, from the difficulty that uh, that uh, you and they are, are facing at the moment. Jazakumullah khair. Uh, make the same dua for you as well. Uh, and uh, may Allah keep uh, all of us and uh, the Ummah Islamia safe, inshallah. Some very sobering but uh, optimistic words there from Fazal Hijazi. Now, just a quick announcement. Uh, we've started a book club on our website uh, to encourage reading, and I think that's a quality all Muslims should aspire to. Uh, to be good readers Uh, so if you want to find out more do go to our website thinkingmuslim.com but for now wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.